1907 at WPPF Radio in Raleigh, North Carolina, AM 680 and FM 98.5. Be sure to set two buttons on your car radio so you can get WPTF on either one of them. I'm Tom Kearney. This is the Tom Kearney Show. It is Wednesday night, January the 27th. And our guest tonight is Mr. Ernest Dollar, the director of the City of Raleigh Museum. And we're going to be talking about the history of Raleigh and things like... uh, uh, women's suffrage and uh, Dix Hill and what it, what it has turned into and become and other things about the history of Raleigh. But before that, one of the things that's kind of lurking like a spectra out there over our shoulders is the weather situation. And I will admit that I have uh, bounced around a lot today and haven't always been able to keep up, keep up with it. So we have solicited the local office of the National Weather Service, and we have one of their forecasters. Is it Andrew? Yes, I'm here. Good evening, sir. Good evening. How are you? I'm fine tonight. Uh, uh, I think maybe this is the first time we've ever talked, but what did our producer and I decided that since uh, the, this has been kind of an iffy situation, I think, about the weather, when is it going to rain, when is it going to snow, or is it going to do either one of those, that we would kind of go to the horse's mouth, so to speak, to the National Weather Service. And what we would like to get from you is just to, for a minute or two, an idea of well, what is going to transpire between now and, and say, tomorrow morning, and, um, uh, well, that's it. That's what, that's what it boils down to. And a, a timeline, if you if you have one. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, we have uh, surface low pressure uh, right now, currently located over the northwest part of South Carolina, and we're starting to see snow kind of pushing into uh, kind of like the western part of North Carolina right now, kind of just hinting into um, southwestern Virginia. And starting to get rain across the triad, Winston, Greensboro. That rain is going to be shifting east uh, into the uh, triangle right around 10, 11 o'clock. Uh, but we won't really see a changeover to snow until around midnight, 1 a.m. That's where the rain will change over to all snow as the temperatures start to fall overnight. The snow will continue into about 5, 6 a.m., but by 9 a.m., it's well off the coast. Um, in terms of accumulations, for the triangle, we're looking anywhere from 1 to 2 inches in Raleigh, uh, 1 to 2 inches across the triangle. Um, some higher amounts are possible to the north of, I, of uh, Highway 64, potentially 2 to 3 inches in uh, Franklin and Nash counties. So, uh, and I had the impression, and you just confirmed it, south of Highway 64 is probably going to be pretty much just rain, and north is where the, the snow will occur, and uh, and it will be out of here, so to speak, by, by drive time or a little after tomorrow morning. And I had the impression that the temperature is going to be such that tomorrow that even if it does stick, some of it, most of it will melt. Does that sound correct to you? Well, that's the first, uh, the original question you had about the snow. So pretty much all of central North Carolina is going to see some snow. It's just going to be that north of 64, Highway 64, is we're going to see the highest snowfall accumulations. You know, upwards of like two to three inches up there, one to two inches in Raleigh. You know, as you go further south into like Fayetteville, they're going to see only less than an inch. Um, Okay. Temperatures, you know, behind the front tomorrow, um, going to be quite blustery out of the northwest, and temperatures are going to top out around 40 degrees in the afternoon, um, but we're going to get a decent amount of sunshine for the morning, so that should help to melt a lot of the snowfall. Okay. All right. 
course, there's the potential for uh, if, if if it doesn't all dry up for black ice tomorrow night. But we'll we'll confront that when it comes by. Andrew, thanks so much for being with us tonight and, and checking us. We always like to sort of stay on top of the weather, and particularly when it's going to be occurring overnight, our our listeners have to confront drive time tomorrow and what what occurs then. But thanks a lot for being with us tonight. You're welcome. You're welcome. From the National Weather Service, uh, spokesman with a view of uh, what's supposed to happen vis-a-vis the snow, one to two inches, I think he said. So, And if you stay tuned to WPTF, uh, we will try to keep you up to date on what's going on, particularly early tomorrow morning when uh, the morning show shows up and, and the, and the uh, weather forecast is, it will be able to tell you what kind of situation you're facing vis-a-vis drive time tomorrow morning. We said our guest was going to be Ernest Dollar, and he's been waiting patiently because he is bursting with knowledge about history. Ernie, are you there? I sure am, Tom. Well, I, uh, I'm glad you could be with us tonight. Uh, I often work by inspiration, and I didn't even tell you this, and I didn't do my homework, so we may have to put this on the burner. But the last time you were on, we talked about... Uh, Two or three different things were at the end, you know, some some other things other than the, the exhibits that may have been at the uh, at the uh, Raleigh City of Raleigh Museum, and we'll get to your your baby there in just a moment. But one of the things that that I mentioned to you was the the Latta University, and I think I saw the other day an article. I did see an article, I believe, in the Our State Magazine about that. Didn't have a chance to read it, but we're going to have to come back and talk about that sometime. And I know you knew about it because. I think one of the last vestiges of the uh, university, which was located uh, adjacent to the, uh, if I remember correctly, the Oberlin community, was a house that burned in like 2007 or 2008. And uh, uh, I think it would be interesting to talk about that and the med school that was once located at Shaw University and those kind of things. And if I may drop in a suggestion, that might be a good thing to have an exhibit on uh, education and particularly in the black community and, and the, the medical school that was located at Shaw and, and the medical training that was available at Latin University. Are we okay on that? Yeah, sounds good. And, you know, you know Raleigh is, a, is an epicenter for, for African-American education after the Civil War. So it's, a, it, it's, it's no doubt that these universities and medical schools popped up in Raleigh with Shaw and St. Augustine's University here. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly robust story of, of education in African-American history in Raleigh to explore. Well, I know I did a, a book review, and for the life of me, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he's a very prominent uh, citizen of Durham, where, where by, by the way, I know you live, uh, and he was one of the African-American founders of the uh, great uh, North Carolina Mutual Insurance Company. He was a physician, a doctor, but he had attended medical school at Shaw when it was in its prime which was, I think, in the 1880s, and I really, frankly, don't know what uh, what what happened to it exactly. So there is a story to be told there, and maybe you and I can contribute to it sometime, some way. Maybe we can come back and talk about that at some time. But I, I know he he was active in going to school there and, and in supporting it, and and I sort of wonder what happened to it. I know that when uh, when the uh, land grant act uh, was uh, to, to create uh, land-grant schools came into being. Uh, NC State uh, cut the money for it, and, uh, and this was the days of segregation and what they, 
they tried to do was to establish a branch of uh, NC State that was a part of worked with a part of Shaw in the medical the the land grant of facilities would be at Shaw, but uh, the uh, people who uh, were interested in that not happening took things to court, I believe, and they ended up creating North Carolina A and T, and so there's a rich story there too. So, so that's a that's a good thing to to talk about. Uh, we've got we're about to the point where we need to take a break, so I'm going to I'm going to give you a homework assignment for this. Going you have about three minutes to to do it. Uh, get ready, and when we come back, tell us what the City of Raleigh Museum is, sort of a little bit of its history, where it is, when it's opened, and uh, if you're open for business now, and, uh, and and of course that's a viable question these days. His name is Ernest Dollar, Dollar spelled just like the the, the greenback out there, and uh, he has uh, appeared with us a number of times on the program, and he's up to date on the history of the capital city of North Carolina. Uh, he is a I'm going to see if I can remember, Ernie. You are a graduate of UNCG, and you have a, a graduate degree from the North Carolina State University. Is that not correct? Your memory has not failed you yet. You are absolutely correct. It's failing faster. That's why I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have Dr. Crisp when you were at, at State? I didn't. He was uh, the, the Texas expert, big Alamo fan. Right. Well, he was over with us uh, last week on, on Wednesday night talking about his his book that he's been writing about a man named uh, Herman Ehrenberg. So it's uh, about to come out in April, I think. So uh, so we can get a chance to promote that for him. We're going to come back and let you tell us about the City of Raleigh Museum. And then the exhibits there, the one that I want to hear about again, I've heard about it, is the, uh, the women's suffragette movement because I get to talk about Gertrude Wheel again. And also... Uh, I think with this story, a lot of people are going to Dick's Park now, but they don't know the story of Dick's Hill, and that's the story we're telling. And so we'll do that when we come back. 922 at We're here every night, Monday through Friday, by the way, from 9 to 10, with a little bit of live and in real-time radio, and that includes tonight the director of the City Museum of Raleigh and the uh, Pope House Museum, uh, and historian uh, uh, that we enjoy talking with, Mr. Ernest or Ernie Dollar. Ernie, um, you've got a, a good place to have a museum, and tell us when, where it is and when, when the doors are open. Sure. Um, you know, if you come to the City of Raleigh Museum, come for the exhibits, but you have, also have to come for the building itself, and it's one of the most iconic, beautiful buildings in downtown Raleigh, and it's the Briggs Hardware Building. I think many of your listeners who grew up in Raleigh have been through the doors of Briggs at some point in their lives. And so that's at 220 Fayetteville Street, and we're open from 9 to 4, Monday through Saturday, and 1 to 4 on Sunday. Okay, and it's good. You know, and, and so you just said something that's good. I, I used to work at a, at, a, a, at a university information center, and it was always closed on Sunday or part of Saturday, and it was, that was the very time it should be open. So I'm glad that you're open on Saturday and Sunday because that's when, for instance, people can, you know, are not working and can go to the museum, and if they have children, they can take them downtown and show them the Capitol and walk a couple of blocks down the street, and there's your museum. And so it's, uh, it's a good thing. It is, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place to, place to have a museum. It's well-situated from all the other museums, and we're actually open, you know, in a, in a COVID world. It's hard to find places to, to let folks in. So we have a, a few restrictions coming in. People have to take a wellness check, and we don't have a full capacity. But 
you know, uh, we had some, some folks from out of town uh, just this week who came to the other museums and they were closed and they were very frustrated, but they were very relieved that they found us can actually have the educational experience that they were looking for. Right, and you and I have both explored, and you, you hinted at the fact or, or demonstrated the fact that the building itself is a museum. If, if, if there wasn't anything in it, if you just went in and walked around, because a lot of the history of Raleigh has transpired. That's where the Waltoga Club, I, this is something I know because I used to work at State, uh, the Waltoga Club, which helped create NC State University, used to meet in the upper floors of the, the Briggs Hardware Building. And it was in its day, as you know, thought of as a skyscraper, and it's, what, about four stories high or five, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, four stories. And it's, it's worth the trip just to go downtown for that. So that's when you're open. Uh, if you want to start somewhere other than I, where I want to start, that's fine. And, and really, this is your program. I'm just kind of wound up tonight because I had a half a cup of coffee, and so uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm wired now. But uh, So if I go off on a toot that you don't want to go off on, but... Uh, you have an you have an exhibit. Let's talk about the live exhibits that you have now, and then. But you have an exhibit about the women's suffrage movement. And do I recollect that uh, the last year, the 20, 2020, 1920 was the year that the Nineteenth Amendment was passed? Is that right? That's right. In in August of, of nineteen twenty, it was passed, and uh, we we tried to get the exhibit to open up on the anniversary. But you know, trying to do open exhibits in a COVID world is just uh, you know, like spitting in the wind. It just didn't happen. But we, it's, it's open now, and it, uh, it's an incredible exhibit. Um, and, and, you know, I have to say, I'm, I was woefully ignorant about women in politics in Raleigh, but after this exhibit, um, I came away with a, a great appreciation for, for what women have done in Raleigh politics over the past hundred years. And it's not been an easy, an easy uh, path, but, yeah, they've been incredible things. And, you know, we, we, it's truly an exhibit where you really understand that women stand on the shoulders of other women who basically did so much to fight for the right to vote and fight for their place in politics. And it's just a, a, an exhibit that highlights so many amazing women in Raleigh who have done so much. Well, in a city where I think, well, certainly the current, my memory begins to fade after a while. But uh, the current mayor of Raleigh is a female person, and I believe the her predecessor was, in fact. Uh, mm -hmm. Raleigh is a, a city where you can remember certain names, and certain names predominate over a long period. A lot of that's changed now because of the coming and going of so many people. But in the, in the old days, uh, you, if you heard a certain name, you would say, that person is from Raleigh, you know, because they named a school. Uh, names like Daniels, for instance, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Martin, and whatever. But uh, do you remember any of the, the women's names who were significant? Uh, you may not, uh, but uh, I'm throwing you a curveball. Yeah. But uh, I know you yeah, probably, probably the one that it kind of surprised me the most is a, is a woman named Betty Knutson, who um, who was was very um, active in local Raleigh politics, and you know she she really pushed a lot of other women into office, and I think she led um, Raleigh to its first female mayor, Isabella Cannon, in 19. 77, I think. Yes, she was secretary of. I used to see Mrs. Cannon lived uh, not very far from where I live, and when I was out in my dog walking my dog in the morning, I used to run into her and occasionally she was jogging. Actually, she was walking real fast. Is what she was doing, but she was a, an interesting lady, and anybody that ever knew her. And so, uh, uh, but she was the little old lady in sneakers. I think is what they called her. But yeah, I was, uh, she, I was her, her her mantra for sure. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I, I, the last time we talked about this, I, you, you allowed me to slip a name in, and you mentioned that, that she had some activities in Raleigh, but the, really one of the most significant women who ever lived in my hometown of Colesboro was a woman named Gertrude Wheel, W-E-I-L. Her family was well-known. They owned a department store and, and other things. Uh, they were uh, Jewish people who came from Germany in the 1850s and uh, were successful merchants and so on. And, and uh, Gertrude was a, was a kick-ass woman, I think is what you would call her. Uh, and uh, She, she was, was a force of, of the nature for sure. <laughs> for sure. And uh, she she went to uh, Smith College, I think, uh, in, in, and could have had her pick of the young men. She was a very attractive lady when she was young. Well, all of her life, but but she could have had her pick of young men, but she came back to Goldsboro to, to live with her family and help take care of her mother. And but that didn't stop her from being significant in politics and things. She never married, and and she was the kind of woman that 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 a person. I mean, you know, I'm a citizen. I'm a young kid, and I would have called her Miss Gertrude. You know, uh, and uh, I remember one of my aunts called her Miss Gertrude. But uh, in any event, she was. A, there's a wonderful biography of her out, and uh, I would recommend it to anybody who would like to know about a, a suffragette and, uh, and a little bit. Of, it, it has a pretty good history of some things in Goldsboro, too, in eastern North Carolina. So forgive me. I took the ball away from you and ran with it. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but you just got a hometown hero for sure. Uh, well, you you got you to go, you know, go rah, rah, rah when you can, because but she certainly is a significant person, and and I find in talking about her that not very many people know about her, but a man named Leonard Rogoff has written a biography of her that's very good, and I recommend it to you. And I'm going to steal your time a little bit more because we've gotten down to, to the half hour when the program is half over, so warm up your voice for the second half. In the meantime, we're going to check the news. WPTF news time right now is uh, 9.30. Tom Kearney with a little bit of live and real-time radio. This is the point in our broadcast where we usually do a little promoing, and I will say that tomorrow night will be a nostalgia night. Uh, tune in. Uh, we'll have open phones, and we can recall something to be nostalgic about, plus or minus. Friday night will be trivia night, and next week on, uh, let's see, it's on Tuesday night, we'll have our annual tribute to the day the music died. Of course, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper, that's on Tuesday night here on WPTF. Tonight, we're talking about history, about the history of Raleigh, with uh, Ernie Dollar, who is the director of the City of Raleigh Museum and the Pope House Museum. Ernie, don't let me get away from here without us talking a little bit about the Pope House Museum, because we say that, and that everyone may not be familiar with that. But if I may ask you to, you and I had a really nice talk the last time you and I were on about the importance of Dorothea Dix, and I'm glad that they've kept the, the name on Dick's part. But uh, talk as much as you will about Dorothy Dix and the well about the exhibit you've got and how it touches on both, I guess, Dix Hill and the Dix Park. Sure. Uh, so, so if you come to the museum these days, uh, we have an exhibit uh, called From Plantation to Park. And we wanted to do our part as the city of Raleigh purchased the old uh, Dorothy Dix Hospital and it became a park that we wanted to play our part and to talk about the history of the site. So the more we got into it, the deeper and the deeper the history got. So in our exhibit, we kind of uh, we talk about the, the, the patient experience, what it was like to be a patient at Dorothy Dix Hospital. We 
kind of profile those people who work there and have such a, a deep a love for the hospital. But in our research, we found out that before there was a hospital on the same property, it had been a plantation site. And so we kind of wanted to talk about that. And you know, uh, it, that has turned out to be an incredible journey as we've discovered uh, descendants of people who were enslaved on this plantation. We brought them back to Raleigh and kind of give them a, showed them their history and their relationship with Raleigh that none of them knew they ever had. But now well, the next project that we're kind of working on to expand this project is to look at the Native American occupation of this, this part uh, where the, the hospital was. Um, what Native American inhabitants were, were at Dix Park? So that's sort of our next avenue of research to get in, to, to uncover that mystery and to find what evidence we can. But uh, Dorothea Dix is an incredibly, it's just a, a, a huge well of historic um, questions and knowledge, and it's just a fascinating place to get into and do research. Well, I know um, I used to do a lot of research in what was called the antebellum period of, of our history, and that would include the founding of, uh, of what we used to call when we were kids. All North Carolina kids knew where Dix Hill was because that's where you people who, well, well, it was politically incorrect, but that's where the crazy people were sent, and I apologize for that, but that's that's how we kids learned it, and uh, but uh, we later grew up to learn about the the efforts of Miss Dix. Do you know when when the when the plantation turned into a a mental hospital, Ernie? Yeah, we through our research we found out that the first European to to grab that parcel of property was about 1757, and uh, for uh, that's a hundred years before the hospital was founded. So um, as soon as the hospital uh, it's founded in 1856. Um, the plantation home is still there, but it begins to operate as a hospital. And over the years, it begins to expand. So I'd probably say that, that plantation probably ended uh, soon after the Civil War. Do you know the name of the family that owned the plantation? I'm sure there may have been more than one, but I didn't know if it was a significant family name. Yeah, the Theopolis Hunter, the Hunter family. Okay, all right. Um, they played, uh, you know, Theopolis Hunter was, you know, one of these classic North Carolinians who was a statesman, a plantation owner, um, you know, helped uh, fight the American Revolution for the Patriots, helped found Raleigh. So he's one of Raleigh's founding fathers. And, you know, that his plantation that close to the, the new city, he was intimately involved in the development of Raleigh when it pops up in 1792. So we've been talking to descendants of Theopolis Hunter as well as the descendants of his uh, enslaved family. So it's an incredibly intricate story, but it's just a very rewarding one to get into and to tell. And, of course, Miss Dakes was one of the most significant persons in the United States uh, who got that reforming spirit that was common in the United States in the early part of the 19th century, and she was particularly interested in the plight of the, the mentally handicapped, I guess you would say, and how they were being treated or in, most, in some cases mistreated, and she went about the United States more sort of figuratively banging the drum to get better treatment for people, and one of the results of that was the creation of the hospital in North Carolina in the 1850s. So it's really a good and interesting story, I think. Yeah. And, you know, Dix, Dix uh, expands, I should say, the mental health system after the Civil War because I think in 1886 the hospital in Morganton is built for the western part of the state to handle those uh, mentally uh, wounded folks. And then in 
And then down your neck of the woods, Cherry Hospital pops up. Right, and if I could say one thing about that, it was not called Cherry Hospital. That is, at that time, that's the name. It was Governor Cherry was the governor, and it appeared right after the World War II, I think. I think he was from Shelby, North Carolina, if I remember. But it was called the Negro Negro Asylum for the Insane or something. And it was the first... I read an article about this, Ernie. You ought to check this out and see if it's true. Uh, first freestanding hospital for the Negro insane in the world. That is, in most states, you know, the, there was a place that, that uh, uh, African-American people who were mentally uh, handicapped were, were sent, but it was usually a part of the white hospital. This one in Goldsboro was created just for African-Americans. So, yeah, I will definitely have to check that out because that would be amazing if that was true. Uh, in some of our research, we found out that, that Dorothea Dix was, for, the hospital was forcibly integrated when Union soldiers captured Raleigh in April of 1865. They had um, troubled former slaves and also United States Colored Troop soldiers that they made the hospital administrators admit these folks to take care of them. And they were not happy about it, but they were forcibly integrated Dorothea Dix Hospital in 1865. Interesting. Are there any? Uh, has anybody written any books about this? I, you know, I love bibliography. If not, that may be your next book, Ernie. <laughs> There's a there is a book called Haven on the Hill by a woman who used to work there. And I talked to her. I know she she was on our program. She worked there. Oh, and, was she? Yeah, Marjorie yeah. O'Rourke. Yeah, yeah. That was it, it. Was really fascinating because she had was not just working at it as a thing up on the hill, she actually worked there and uh, and had a lot of sentiment for the place, you know, that she had worked. Uh, uh, so, uh, um, yeah, we were, when we were putting together our exhibit, we were, I was just humbled by the people who, who worked at the hospital and had such a love, such a sincere affinity for the hospital that they still have um, reunions of the employees. Who, you know, some of them worked there for 40 or 50 years. It's just that the people have such a, a, a deep emotion for their work and what they did in the hospital. And when it closed, it just kind of broke their hearts. I have to admit that I used to go that way when I was going to Goldsboro sometime, and that is I, I cut across country, so to speak. But have they maintained the buildings that were on the Dix Hill campus? So, uh, yeah, some, some yes and some no. So the city uh, bought the property, and the Department of Health and Human Services still own and operate some of the buildings. So they're gradually turning over these buildings to the city. So when uh, a couple of years ago we got a the super secret behind the scenes tour of the building, and it was it was amazing. I mean, it, it is just as if the patients and the doctors and the nurses had just walked out, and there was just everything left where it was. But wow, it was that's incredible. really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing experience. So we tried to document take photographs of where all this stuff was because, I mean, this is sort of the last glimpse of these places as a working hospital. Right. I remember there was a great deal of debate about closing the Dix Hospital because of where where do the patients go now? And I remember that some of them were going to go to the the, uh, Umstead Hospital, I think, near Butner. I'm not sure exactly how that turned out. Is the hospital in Morganton still open, as far as you know? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I, 
I was aware of that, and of course, Cherry Hospital in Goldsboro has been was integrated and and, and and continues to operate at this time. So, uh, well, thank you, sir. Uh, that was one of the reasons I wanted you to come tonight because I wanted to ask you about that. And you have an exhibit at the City of Raleigh Museum that deals with the changes there. And uh, uh, I think uh, the other thing I read about it has been produced in connection with the. Uh, uh, the people that manage uh, Dick's Hospital, uh, if I remember correctly, along with your museum. Yeah, the, you know, Raleigh's pretty fortunate because uh, the, the city employees maintain and, and kind of run, operate the park, but they've also got a, a sort of a 501c3 nonprofit, which really helps raise the money to develop this into a, a wonderful park, and that's the Dick Park Conservancy. So they're always out there raising funds to, to pour into this place to make it truly what I think will be a world-class park in years to come. And, you know, people have been comparing this to the, the Central Park of North Carolina. And, you know, I know. It's rare. Uh, that's why I'm glad they were able to save it because it's rare. You know, you imagine the value of the real estate in Central Park, and it's rare to have a big piece of open country, more or less open country, uh, that close to a downtown of a big city. At, uh, we are very eager to have this history, to uncover this history, because a lot of it is not really known. To sort of dig it up, to uncover it, and present it to the public to say, hey, not only is this preserving the memory of this you know, mental institution, but there's a whole bunch of more history that's wound up in this park that you'll never know. So there's just we're now just starting to scratch the surface of all the stuff that, that went on at Dorothea Dix and what it means and the history behind it. Well, maybe by broadcasting it on WPTF, I like to use the word broadcasting. The word is out to more and more people, and this is when people who have stories to tell or old letters or whatever uh, start coming out of the woodwork. As you know, as a historian, you information can come from lots of places. Well, let's take a break now. When we come back and look at, uh, uh, I think you have a couple of other exhibits that are that are open at the. Uh, at the uh, museum, and also talk for a moment about the Pope House Museum. Well, I haven't checked on its uh, fortunes lately, and it would be good to hear about that. Ernest Dollar, director of the City of Raleigh Museum, is our guest tonight, and we're talking Raleigh history. Wednesday night, I keep saying it because it seems like the world has become so higgledy-piggledy these days. Mrs. Kearney and I have to get up every morning and say, it's Wednesday to make sure what day it is. Ernie, do you have those kinds of problems? Oh, uh, this whole oh, 2020 was a long, one long blur's day. I think that's, <laughs> thank you. I think that was, that, that sort of got, caused a sense of it right there. It, is, it was just <laughs> one long blur. <laughs> so, uh, I think I was glad that it was over too because some interesting things happened to the world and happened to me in the world and I was ready for it to, to be be gone and so we could have a better better day. There, I noticed from looking at the website while you were gone that there were three or four other exhibits and uh, I would would hope that if you want to mention anything particular, whether it's Dwayne Powell or, or the city government of Raleigh, you have such a beautiful picture on the, the, uh, the thing that's labeled the delicious country. Uh, I know what that's about, but if you didn't know, it would make you think, if you know what I mean. But uh, if there's any one of those that you particularly want to talk about, go for it. Uh, I probably think that, you know, Dwayne Powell is perhaps one of my, my favorites and, and saddest exhibits. 
Um, you know, anybody who's been in Raleigh for the past 30 years has probably seen one of Dwayne's political cartoons in the News and Observer. And, you know, he was a, a illustrator for 30 years, self-taught illustrator, too, which is the most amazing thing. And, you know, we, we, when I first got to the museum in 2012, this guy walked up and said, asked me if I ever wanted to do an exhibit of political cartoons. And I said, yeah, maybe. And he flipped his card at me, and I kept it in a box and pulled it out in about 2017. It was Dwayne Powell. So I said, this sounds like fun. So we, the exhibit is just a, a great retrospective of his work over his time in, in newspapers, but it's also a history lesson because, you know, all of his political cartoons involve current events. So it's a little bit of his work, a little bit of history, and it's also a little bit about the, the, the vanishing career of political cartoons. You know, as newspapers kind of become less and less prevalent, um, these guys who have been on the, the inside editorial page of newspapers since newspapers were printed are starting to, to lose a lot of that, their, the, the professions and those jobs. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fun exhibit, and Dwayne helped us with that one. He came in and painted this huge mural on the side of the museum in the exhibit, and uh, he was just great to work with, but unfortunately he passed away right after we completed the exhibit. So, and then I know the, the picture that you have in, in the in the web on the website is a picture I think of what he drew on the wall there, and I I thought that's really a unique thing. The exhibit could be sent to other places, but you've got the wall, and so that is true. Sense. And you know, uh, you know, Dwayne Dwayne leans a little left, so I was afraid that in this day and age that no one laughs at politics anymore, that people would come in and blow their sack. So I had to put up a sign asking people, please don't yell at my staff. Please don't do that. Well, I had the feeling that Mr. Helms uh, uh, kind of took it, you know, he, he took it in a kind of a relaxed manner. Uh, and I don't know, you would probably know better of having talked to Dwayne, but uh, he, they helped make each other famous is what, oh, is what they did. Well, the whole, the whole exhibit is called You Really Stuck It to Me Today, which is a Jesse Helms quote. Because yeah. Jesse Helms, every time a, that Dwayne would do a cartoon of him, um, so Jesse would call up Dwayne and say, you really stuck it to me today, and wanted the cartoon, and he would send it to him. So he festooned his office in Dwayne's cartoon. I and just I really... That, uh, go, go ahead, I'm asked, sorry. That's right. I asked Dwayne if, if any of the, the new people that he drew wanted his cartoons. He said no. Uh, <laughs> none, of the, none of those guys want wanted now, so it's just a little could afford a sense of humor, and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I want you to know I admire a man that uses a word like festooned on the radio. That's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's see. We've got here about two more minutes. Uh, do you want to draw? Well, do you want to talk about the Pope House for, for a moment? There are other exhibits, yeah, yeah. but go for that. Well, um, besides the City of Raleigh Museum, um, I operate the, the Pope House, which is a truly a, a hidden gem in Raleigh. And you started out this conversation talking about Leonard Medical School and Shaw University. And Dr. Manasseh Pope was probably perhaps the first licensed black doctor in North Carolina. And so we have his home. We have it open as a museum. You can kind of go through. And, and everything in the house, unlike like Mount Vernon or all these other places, that everything in the house had belonged to Dr. Pope, who built the home in 1901, and his family lived in into it until 1999, so it's the entire 20th century lived life of Dr. Pope and his family. And it's just a, it's a, just a neat place to truly step back in time and be teleported back. 
Is it located, it's located is it South Wilmington Street? It's near Shaw University. It is, it is. It's on 511 South Wilmington. Okay. And so we, we have that open on Saturdays from, from 10 to 2 for tours and Sundays by appointment. So, yeah, if, if anybody's looking for something to do next month for Black History Month, this is truly the place where you get to discover this, this hidden gem. Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, and uh, that is a, a gem, and an un unknown gem, a little recognized thing. Now, tell us the hours again, and then we'll tie this up in a neat knot for the City of Raleigh Museum, which is in the uh, Briggs Hardware b building. And perhaps, I don't, I don't know if we said that Briggs Hardware was founded, I think, about 1865. And uh, I remember a guy one time said, if you wanted to trace the history of Raleigh, you could trace it through the account books of the Briggs Hardware Company, because just about everything that was ordered in those days to build Raleigh, like wood and screws and hammers and whatever, came through the, the Briggs uh, 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 hardware store, which... Uh, I would certainly agree with that. And so you're open uh, every day except Monday, I believe. That's right, and from 9 to 4 p.m. 9 to and 4 p.m., and you're just 1 to 4. Wonderful, but it's good that you're open on Saturdays and Sundays. Ernie, thanks for being with us tonight. I may give you a quick call once I get off the air here and talk about a couple of other things. So if, if you don't mind, I, I will do that. I won't take much of your time. Uh, you may have to finish. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. It's always fun to talk to you, especially I didn't get a chance to wish you a happy new year. Uh, all right, and likewise, and we we made it to another year. That's that's a good thing. <laughs> in fact, we've almost made it into the second month of the the year. But I hope you'll tune in. You're kind of young, but you you can tune in on Tuesday night when we pay our. We this is about the fifteenth year we've done it. Our annual homage to the day the music died and the, the end of the short career of, of Buddy Holly, who's uh, not given the credit he deserves for his place in the development of modern rock and roll and music and stuff like that. But thanks, Ernie, and I'll talk to you in just a couple of minutes. Uh, again, we'll remind you that tomorrow night is Nostalgia Night, Friday night is Trivia Night, and I just gave a little promo to the program uh, commemorating the death of, of, uh, of Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper and Richie Valance. We'll talk to you again tomorrow night following the 9 o'clock news.